Okay, tonight we're going to uh, begin a little bit of a different thing. We've been looking at uh, the lives of uh, different individuals, different characters of the Bible, did some character studies, and that was good to see how God uses people, uses sinners, much like we are, and, and uh, there's hope for us too, that God can use us, and we've seen that as we looked at, the, at the several different individuals uh, throughout history and uh, how God used them. But really, um, if, when, when you begin to look at the Bible and you think of it as maybe a, a storybook, some people look at it as a storybook, but really it's about one story, right? Uh, we have uh, some material for our children during children's church. It's called One Story. And what it does is it takes the children through the Bible and throughout the Bible showing how it's really, every bit of it's about Jesus. So tonight I want us to kind of look at that. I want us to uh, uh, begin looking at that and we'll, we'll look at it again uh, next Sunday night. And then the next Sunday night, uh, James will be uh, talking to you. If he wants to continue this, he can. But uh, um, So tonight I want us to look at the one story of the entire Bible. Okay, and so um, turn with me in Luke, Luke 24. This wasn't something that was uh, beyond Jesus' understanding. He certainly understood it. read for us uh, Luke 24 beginning verse 13 uh, through 27 that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about all these things that happened while they were talking and discussing together Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And Jesus said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers crucified him, delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, yes, and besides all this, that is now the third day since these things happened. Where am I reading through? Uh, 27. Okay. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, very good. Now we read on um, to... Uh, Jesus meeting his disciples in, the, in an upper room. And um, let's 
someone read, I can't tell what verse that is, 40. Okay, I, I'll, I'll do the best I can to read it because I can't see the number. Okay. Uh, when he had uh, said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while this is 40 something. And while, uh, and while they did not believe it because. I'm sorry, I can't see. Do you want me to go get you some glasses? No, somebody else. You see where I am? Pick it up. Yeah. Where are we going to? Um, somewhere. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. but I cannot see the numbers. I can see some of the words. <laughs> and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, "Have you anything here to eat?" They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, that's good. So, so you see the idea here in Luke 24, twice. Jesus, first of all, meets with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he takes them and uh, opens up the scriptures to them. Their eyes are open and they see and begin to understand uh, the scriptures. Well, the scriptures at that time certainly the Old Testament. And then he comes to his disciples uh, later on um, who were who meeting together. Uh, I don't think Thomas was there at that time, and he and he, he does the same thing to them. Tells them about all the all the Old Testament was really about me. And uh, so it's an interesting thing. If if you were to meet somebody who had never really heard anything about Jesus, where would you start to tell them about Jesus? Maybe you would begin with Mary and Joseph, you know, and about them, or maybe you begin at the at the Virgin Birth, or even. Uh, his baptism and uh, his beginning of his public ministry and what he came to do in his ministry. But when you look at the Gospels, the Gospel messages, where, where do we see, uh, where does uh, uh, Matthew start? Does anybody know it's in Matthew 1? Where does he start telling us about Jesus? Family lineage. Family lineage, and he starts with Abraham. He goes kind of further back than we do. <laughs> what about Luke? When Luke gives the genealogy, where does he begin? Goes all the way back to Adam. All the way back to Adam. John gives us kind of a birth narrative too, but where does he begin? He starts before the foundation of the world. Yeah, creation. In fact, he even begins with the same words, Genesis, right? In the beginning. And we're in, in the beginning in Genesis, God created the heaven and earth. In the beginning was the Word. Just back at the beginning of creation was the Word. And then John goes on uh, almost immediately to talk about um, Jesus was there in the beginning. In fact, everything that was created was created through Him. Right? He was way back there. So, well, if somebody had never heard about Jesus, maybe it would be okay to begin telling them about His birth. But really, we need to get further back eventually. And that's what Jesus is doing with, uh, with those who follow him here in Luke uh, 24. So.
same opening going from Moses? What books did Moses write? Genesis through Deuteronomy, first five books. Pentateuch is what it's sometimes called. Uh, he wrote uh, in going through uh, all of the prophets. So he's taking the whole Old Testament and he's opening their eyes to it. Tonight I want us to see a, kind of a, uh, a little bit of an overview of that and looking at some of the things about the Old Testament that point us to Jesus. And then we're going to go into uh, more specific things about it, uh, beginning looking at some more specific things uh, regarding Jesus in the Old Testament next week. So we've already seen Jesus in Genesis chapter 1, haven't we? How do we see him in Genesis chapter 1? John tells us about it. He's the Word that spoke. Huh? The Word. He is the Word. And the Word was in the beginning with God, and the Word is the one who creates all things, right? So we see Him in chapter 1 in that sense, in the sense that there's creation. Um, we we'll go on really, when you think about the Old Testament, we we'll quite often think about prophecy. And in Genesis chapter uh, two, you know, the law is given to man. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat of it, that day you're going to die. We know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Then the serpent comes to the woman and tempts her, and she, she sees that it's, it's attractive fruit. So she takes some and eats it, and she gives some to the man, and he eats it. And then the fall. And then, when as soon as they eat it, they recognize they're naked. And so they go and hide because God is coming to walk in the garden with them again. Um, one uh, individual that I read on this uh, suggested possibly that's a pre-incarnate Jesus walking in the garden with them. Quite possibly. Seemed probable almost. But he comes to find them in the garden and to have the fellowship that he's regularly had with them, but he finds man hiding. So why are you hiding? Did you, eat, did you eat the fruit? No, he says, well, we were naked. We didn't want to be in front of you naked. He says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? I told you not to eat. And sure enough, he had. And so the punishment for sin comes in Genesis chapter 3. And it's given to the woman. What's the, what's the punishment for the woman because of the sin? Yeah, pain in childbirth. I've never experienced that myself. Um, Glenn Clary, when he was here, his second child was to be born, and Kathy was at the hospital. And so I'm doing the pastorally thing, going into the hospital to do the hospital visit. Well, Glenn's not there. He's at home with their other child. So I go in, and, I, and Glenn's already balding pretty good. And I'm thinking Kathy's going to pull my hair out here because <laughs> the pain she's going through. So I'm trying to get the doctor. She's hurting. Well, yeah. <laughs> Carol Burnett said, uh, if, uh, if you want to experience the pain of childbirth, what you have to do is take your bottom lip and pull it over your head. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's painful. It really does happen. And so that comes true. Can you 
women, if, if uh, Eve hadn't have taken the fruit and given it to the man, just think, there would have been no pain in childbirth. Then, uh, the, then the curse comes to man, and what's the curse on man? Yeah, you're, you're going to, uh, you'll, you'll uh, throw to the ground come with much labor and the toil and sweat of your brow and stuff like that. Work becomes a four-letter word, I guess. So it becomes quite difficult. And then, Genesis 3.15, the, 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 the conspirators in this rebellion against God and uh, to uh, disobey Him, uh, not only in, were a woman and man involved in it, but serpent was involved in it, right? As well. And so now the, the, the curse comes to the serpent. And in Genesis 3.15 is where we see the curse to the serpent. And what is that curse? <laughs> what? Oh yeah, that's part of it too. Yeah, take his legs away from him. On his but... belly he'll crawl and the dust of the ground he'll eat. Yeah. There's more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and hers. And you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. What's that all about? Jesus. Not about the coming of Jesus, right? It's the first prophecy of Jesus that we find in the Bible, there in Genesis 3:15, where it comes in the it's a prophecy, but it comes in the way of a curse to, to the serpent, saying, um, saying that there would be enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and that uh, you would strike his heel, but he would crush your head. Thus, looking forward to the coming of Jesus. We see much more prophecy about the coming of Jesus. Um, Matthew 5, or excuse me, Micah 5 2. Does anybody know what's in Micah 5 2? Just off the top of your head, or if you can find it. While you're looking for that, someone else can look up uh, Hosea 11 1. Micah 5 2. Right. wise men come to Jerusalem they're looking they've seen the star of our Lord in the east and they've come looking for him thinking he would have been in Jerusalem the the capital city they come looking for the one who's born king of the Jews and so they ask who it where where he was and uh, Herod doesn't know and so he sends for the religious leaders to come and tell him well, what does the what does the word of God tell us about where he would be born what do they quote? <clears throat> Micah 5.2. Yeah, they quote Micah 5.2, saying he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew it. So we see the, the prophecy of Jesus coming. He's born in, going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, and interesting, uh, Hosea seems to be looking at, uh, at this point, he seems to be looking at uh, the history of Israel, right? 
where they come out of Egypt, you know, the, the plagues, and uh, they come out of Egypt confronted by the Red Sea and so on and so forth. But, again, in Matthew's Gospel, the author of Matthew, or Matthew picks it up and he, he takes this, and what does he do with it? Applies it to Jesus. He applies it to Jesus. In what sense? What happened to apply it to Jesus? They escaped to Egypt, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, while yeah. Herod was alive and then returned after his death. Yeah. Herod was, was out to kill Jesus, and so they, they have to escape to Egypt, and then as soon as Herod dies, they return. But Matthew picks it up and says, See, the Old Testament is looking forward to him. quotes that, that passage. Another passage here regarding his birth, prophecy in the Old Testament. Ron knows this one. I know he knows this one. Uh, Isaiah 7.14. What's Isaiah 7.14? Right. Uh, it, it, we call Emmanuel. For, it means God with us. Yes, that's, that's right. Exactly. And again, Matthew uh, picks this up. And he's, he, he uses this. Why? Because Mary was a virgin. And he quotes that as a fulfillment of Old Testament. So we see these prophecies coming hundreds of years before Jesus to be fulfilled regarding his birth. But not only his birth, we see prophecies regarding uh, his death as well. Now someone look up uh, um, Psalm 22. Someone else look up Isaiah 53. Linda, you got Isaiah 53? Yes, sir. Who's got Psalm 22? Okay. Can you read the first verse for us here, Psalm 22, 1? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, where do we hear that? Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Now, he might have read that and just known it. So, you're still in Psalm 22. Uh, read verse 7 and 8. All, these, all those who see him laugh. Laugh being smart. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Do, do we see that anywhere else in Scripture? Certainly we see that at the cross, right? We see the cross, those who are coming by and they're mocking him, saying he saved others. Let him save himself. You know, he trusted in God before. Let him trust in God now to take him down. Verse 16, Psalm 22. Where dogs have surrounded me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Wow. This is hundreds of years before the crucifixion, and yet dogs surround me. And, and what's, is, isn't this happening at the cross? They surround him and they're piercing his hands and his feet. Verse 18. Wow. What they do with Jesus' tunic? They didn't want to tear it, to, you know, ruin it like that. So instead, what did they do? They cast lots for it. Here are hundreds of years before Jesus comes. Amazing prophecies regarding uh, Jesus' uh, crucifixion. The so, club that Victor Chur had, Richard Martin Chesney, 
Do what? The movie, what was it, The Road? Uh, the movie, The Road? Oh, yes, for years. The movie plays the Greek that gets the... Uh, okay. And he gets it, and uh, uh, Richard Burton plays the uh, centurion and the killing was there. And he's looking for that, looking for Jesus. And he can't find it, but shows him the, the road, the cloak. Okay. And the centurion won't touch it. He backs off. He thinks it's missed. It's, it's fiction, of course. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Psalm uh, Psalm 34, 20. Does anybody have any idea? If you're in Psalm 22, maybe you can find 34 real quick. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Okay. So what happens on the cross? What do they typically do if they're trying to speed up their death? break their legs. They need to take these these prisoners down because of the timing uh, and everything. So they break the legs of the one, uh, the other two that were crucified. When they come to Jesus, they see he's already dead, right? So instead of breaking his legs, they shove the spear into his heart. And I'm uh, sure he's dead. Isaiah 53, 1 through 9. <clears throat> Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they had his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Wow, that was a lot there, right? You would have to think that had to have been written after Jesus' crucifixion, but no, it was years and years before. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. You remember Pilate saying, Aren't, don't you want to defend yourself here? He's silent before those who are accusing him. He's uh, uh, pierced for our iniquities. Um, his uh, his grave is with the uh, uh, how's it how's it there Both with the wicked with and the, with the rich man in his death. And, yeah, so with, with the wicked, the two uh, thieves uh, on the other crosses, and with the rich man, he was buried in Joseph Arimathea's tomb. Right, amazing thing that we see so much of it there. 
So we see not only his birth prophesied, we see certainly his uh, death prophesied in the Old Testament. And there, there are many others in both of these, but these are just some sampling. And then Psalm 1610. It says, uh, you, will, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One seek decay. Peter preaches on this passage in uh, Psalm chapter 2, right? Or excuse me, Acts, Acts chapter 2. Right? And he says, what's this all about? Oh, Jesus, right? Is, is that, was that Peter did preach on that? Or was that, I think it was a different passage. But anyway, um, he's talking about the bones. Uh, you know, we, we've got David's bones. Who's he talking about? Couldn't be talking, David couldn't be talking about himself. We've got David's bones here. His body's seen decay, but not Jesus's, right? He's raised from the dead. Yeah, it is that passage Peter talks about. It. So we see not only his birth prophesied and his death prophesied, but even his resurrection prophesied uh, in, in the Old Testament. Um, then we see some other things. Uh, not only prophecy about him, but we also see some amazing things about Jesus in the Old Testament as you look at it in uh, light of foreshadowing. You remember when we were in the book of Hebrews and it talks about the uh, Old Coast, uh, Covenant rituals, there being a shadow of the reality to come. There's a lot of that in the Old Testament. Who, know, who remembers what happens at the end of Genesis chapter 3 before they're thrown out of the garden? What does God do with the man and the woman? Make some, some Make clothes. some clothes. Make some clothes. Make some clothes out of animal skins, right? What does that have to happen to the animals first? Yeah, they have to die. And so now you're clothed with the, with the animal skins. They've had to die in order for them to be clothed. The fig leaves weren't working real well. So we see them, them clothed with the sins of the animals. We see throughout the Old Testament the need for sacrifices for sin. Sin offerings, you know, you had to bring the, the sacrifices to be uh, put to death. Day of atonement, you certainly had to have that to come and, and to be a, to have your sins atoned for by the sacrifices that are there. But in Hebrews chapter 9, we read about those sacrifices. Those were only a shadow of the reality to come in Christ Jesus. The blood of bulls and goats could never really take away sins, but they pointed forward to the one who could and actually did. We see... Um, we see in Genesis chapter 22 a, a pretty interesting passage I found out recently. It's the first place that uh, lambs are mentioned. Right? Huh, well, we found that out. Anyway, uh, who's the first one to mention uh, lambs in the Bible? I know. You know. <laughs> it would be Isaac. And in Genesis chapter 22, you recall... Abraham has been told, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go sacrifice him in a place I'm going to go show you. Abraham rises up early the next morning, takes his son, and, and they go, and they come to a certain place where, where he, he lets his uh, uh, servants, leaves them there, and says, we're going to go over this mountain and worship the Lord, and then, then we'll come back. And as they're going, uh, Isaac says, Father, I, I, see, the, uh, I see the fire, I see the wood. Where's the where's the lamb sacrifice? The Lord will provide, right? He goes on and uh, he actually builds the altar, puts uh, Isaac on it, 
and raises his knife to slaughter him. And instead of that, God stops him and says, there's a ram over there in the tangle in the bush. And go get him. Name's the place the Lord will provide, right? Um, that is such a, you know, what was that looking forward to? When God himself will take his only son and he loves. But this time there will be no one to hold back the knife as it comes down on him. But he will pour out his wrath on his own son for the, the sins of the world. Certainly of, of looking forward to what's going to happen with the coming of Christ. We talked about, a little bit about the, um, the nation of Israel itself uh, coming out of Egypt. It is interesting when you begin to look at that, coming out of Egypt, uh, the, the prophecy um, uh, from Hosea 11, Matthew picks it up and says, you know, it's about Christ. But, but when you begin with that, taking them out of Egypt, <coughs> and the first thing that they encounter, the nation of Israel encounters when they come out of Egypt, is the Red Sea, right? And they can't get through it. They got to wait. And so God puts a pillar of fire and cloud to keep the Philistines from uh, taking them. And then he parts the water and they pass through it on dry ground. And then the Philistines start to chase them and closes back up on them. Interesting thing in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, you know what Paul calls that event where Moses leads the people through dry ground? Anybody know what it's called? What Paul calls it there? Baptism. Their baptism into Moses. So they're coming out of Egypt. One of the first things that they meet is the Red Sea, which becomes the crossing and dry ground becomes their baptism, right? Where are they going to go as soon as they come through the Red Sea? Where do they go? Wilderness. Into the wilderness for how long? Forty years. Forty years. What happens to them in the wilderness? They fail miserably. <laughs> they do. They fail miserably. And Satan comes to them and tempts them. Uh, and they fail miserably. Now it's interesting, when the people are about to go into the promised land, God gives them the book of Deuteronomy. That's where the book of Deuteronomy is telling them how you're going to behave once you get into the land. And in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 6 and chapter 8, he talks about three specific times that they were tempted in the way that they should have responded. You know what he tells them? Um, well, let's look at the life of Jesus. Jesus, Matthew's Gospel, you know, they, they, they go down to Egypt to escape the... Uh, the killing of the babies by Herod, and they come up out of Egypt. What's the first real? We see him when he's twelve at the temple, but really just before his public ministry is the the main place we see him. And what's going on there? What's he do coming up out of out of Egypt? We see him at his baptism. The nation of Israel comes out of Egypt into their baptism into Moses, and then they go into the wilderness. Jesus comes out of his baptism. Where does he go? Wilderness. Into the wilderness. What happens in the wilderness? Satan tempts him. Satan tempts him. Every time Satan tempts him, Jesus comes back with Scripture from two specific chapters in the Bible. You know where those two chapters are? Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8. The temptation that the people of Israel failed to uh, 
conquer in the wilderness, Moses tells them what you should have done. Jesus, in the wilderness here, is tempted by Satan three times, and each time he comes back with Scripture from these passages. Israel, this is what you should have done. Jesus does exactly that. You think the whole life of the nation of Israel is foreshadowing the coming of Jesus, the one who would actually be able to defeat Satan in the wilderness? I believe so. Um... One more, just one more, I guess. Um, in uh, Matthew 12, Matthew 12, verse 40, religious leaders are asking Jesus for a sign. And he calls them wicked, right? Because they're asking for a sign to show who he was. Only wicked people will do that. He says, I'm not going to show you the sign. The only sign I will give you is the sign of Jonah. <laughs> Just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the well, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights. Right? Jonah, even the, the, the prophet Jonah, what he went through with the, with the uh, uh, whole issue of being in, in the fish, is foreshadowing and pointing us to Jesus. Just some of the ways that we see Jesus throughout the Old Testament. Um, we need to read the Old Testament always with, uh, with eyes that are looking for Jesus because He is there throughout. Uh, we're going to find uh, some more, uh, more detailed stuff next week. I just wanted to uh, kind of give us a broad overview of, of some prophecies and some foreshadowing Christ to come throughout the Old Testament. So, um, anyway, next week we'll continue with the looking at Christ in the Old Testament. All right.